Looks like a fun time had by all. And thank you to our adults. I know there's several of you in the room who went with Pastor Kramer to help out. Bravo. There are some people who do really great with large families, and uh, my parents are two of those. So kids, they're, they're used to kids. But my family, um, we had eight kids growing up, a lot of kids. Four of us are biological, four of us are adopted, two came from Vietnam, one is Hispanic, a couple of us are crazy, I won't say who. Um, we range from our mid-20s to our late 40s, almost 50s. And uh, we are as different as different can be. None of us look alike. We have different tastes in music and movies and hobbies and all kinds of stuff. But we're family. And as family, we get to enjoy the privileges of being in the family. There's lots of benefits, and I'm sure you all understand benefits in the family. Things you can enjoy now, things you can enjoy later, um, way down the line. And that's great. While my family sounds amazing, we also have those responsibility things we have to do. and We all love responsibilities, right? So even still as adults, we go back to my, my parents' house and we have to contribute to chores. We cook, we clean, we make sure where we're staying in the house is in uh, return to normal condition before we leave. My husband knows to bring his work boots because he's inevitably gonna help my dad on a project in the yard. Thanks be to God that I am a woman and don't have to do that all the time with him. Um, but we, we know that there are going to be things we have to do. And even when we're not at home with my parents, there are responsibilities that we have as members of the family, things that we need to take care of, things that we're tasked with, especially in the family. My family is by no means perfect. We have had tragedy. My brother committed suicide. Um, we've had heartbreak. We've had divorces and disruptions. And sometimes we're shaking our heads wondering what is wrong with people in our family. But at the end of the day, family is family. And I know you all have families. You may have an amazing family. You may have a dysfunctional family. But regardless of what your family was like, I'm sure you can, in your head, come up with an ideal family, what it looks like, how it functions, right? Everybody can do that? Or at least television has told us what those ideal families look like. So as we look at God's Word... I'm sure you're not surprised to know that God has a lot of information about family in the Bible. And we've been working through Ephesians. Um, today we're going to start a different track. So we've been um, looking at the first three chapters so far. And this is where Paul has been reminding the Ephesians, and we get to the benefit of this years later, of understanding the beautiful things that God has blessed us with. So the, the salvation through ridiculous grace that he has given us, adopting us into his family. We're co-heirs with Christ. We have unfettered access to God as, as members of the family. We, we have the Holy Spirit working in us to root us and ground us in his love. And now Paul is changing track as we hit chapter 4 today and through the rest of Ephesians. He's looking more at what it means to actually live as a Christian. And that's where we're going to pick up today. But before we do that, we have been working on a memory verse. And it actually falls in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. If I just left it sitting right here, does anyone have an idea of what that verse is? Starts with the word be. Be kind to one another. I'll, I'll help people here. Be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's do it again a little bit louder because you were uncertain there. 
Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, holding on to that verse, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 today, but this verse actually ties in beautifully to what we're talking about. Um, So I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. You can read along on the slides or whatever version works best for you. But we're going to dig in right now, starting with this. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. He himself granted that some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. So Paul started Ephesians with more of an individualistic bent, what we, we get out of the deal with God. And now he's telling us that we are members of the family, which Paul told us in Ephesians 2.19, that we are members of the household of God. So he's telling us, as members of the family, we have responsibilities because we have amazing benefits. So we get the benefits first, but you also have to do some of the work. So with the benefits in mind, Paul doesn't waste time here in Ephesians chapter 4, cutting to the chase. He tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So this word walk here is a Greek word, and it means, it's peripateo, is how you pronounce that lovely Greek word. It means something figuratively and literally. Literally is to walk. You walk through life. Figuratively, it means to live. So what Paul is saying here is you, as you are walking through life, as you are living, you must do so in a way that proves that supports that you are a member of the family of God, that you are living up to the calling 
that, we, that God has called you to. You are adopted into the family, so now get with it and pick up the responsibilities. In my own family, if one of my adopted siblings had had all the benefits but had not had to do any of the responsibilities, I think there would have been a lot of hard feelings, a lot of hurt, a lot of anger and frustration. People are expected as part of the family to step up. Would we all agree? Yeah? Yeah, we, we love that, right? So Paul is not trying to make us guess on what that means in our behavior because we're, we're, we're living together. We have to work together. So we're trying to build unity together. And to do that, we have to act in a certain way with all humility. Humility, humbleness is thinking less of yourself, living less of yourself and more of others. With all gentleness, this word is actually meekness in Greek. And meekness is where you have power that is under control. So in the Christian faith, meekness means that all of your passions, all of your instincts are under God's control and being used for his service. With all patience, another word for this is long-suffering. This is my hardest one. I still work on this one a whole lot. Long-suffering, to bear with the offenses of others, being generous in spirit with their weaknesses. That's hard. That's hard. Especially when it comes to family sometimes. You feel like you can be a little less patient with them. We're to be forbearing. This word, so bearing with one another is forbearing. And that means to hold up, to be steadfast, no matter what is thrown your way. So no matter what members of the family are flinging your way, you are to hold fast. And then we are to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What's interesting about this is it doesn't say make every effort to build the unity of the Spirit. Because the unity is already there. Unity was founded by our triune God. You think of it, just in the nature of God, Father, Son, Spirit, we have unity. And that is reflected here. And finally, in the bond of peace. So we have muscles in our bodies. We have bones. And by themselves, they actually don't work. You need connective tissue. You need ligaments. And it tells us in this passage that Christ is that. So the bond of peace is what binds all of this together. And where where does peace come from? Peace comes from God. It tells us in in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So with the bond of peace, all of our parts are able to work together as we are maintaining unity, as we are working steadfastly and pursuing and laboring to keep unity at work in the church. This is all about the church. So these are elements of a lifestyle, not just that we can say we have as Christians, they are meant to be lived out in community with the body of Christ. And to be honest, if you're living these out better in the world than you are with the body of Christ, you're creating to family dysfunction. You're you're contributing to it. So in case you don't understand why we have one body and why we need to support the one body, Paul makes the case as we move forward. He says that we have one body, one body of Christ. So in my family, I have a smaller family unit. I have my husband and my kids. 
That's our family unit. But we roll up under the bigger family. And so it is with the church. We here have our church. This is our little family. But we are part of the global body of Christ, the single one body of Christ. We also have one hope, one confidence in Jesus Christ. He is our enduring hope, our, our living hope. That we, we move forward based on that hope. We have one spirit, one Lord, God, and Father of all. We have one God. This is the three manifestations of God here. So, so oneness, unity, is in the very character of God. We have one faith. Our faith is found in Jesus Christ. If we do not believe that gospel message of Jesus Christ, we are not part of the body of Christ. So to be in the body, we have a single faith. And then one baptism. A couple weeks ago, we had the pleasure of nine people being baptized. Thank you, God. It was amazing. But when we do baptism, sometimes we talk as pastors about affirmation of baptism. Because when you've been baptized into Christ— you're affirming your relationship with Christ. You are joining the fellowship of the church. You don't do that again. It's one baptism for all. You can affirm it, but it's one baptism. So we have oneness because we are to move forward as one through life, as we, the body of Christ, respond to his calling in our lives. Now, after we get through the first six verses, Paul suddenly takes us in a different direction. We've been talking about unity and working together, and all of a sudden we're switching to talk about distinction. It says here, each of us, starting in verse 7, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. He himself granted that there are some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone gets gifts. Everyone has different gifts. But as we think about this, we have to understand one key message. Unity does not mean uniformity, right? I love that, that point. Uni unity is not the same as uniformity. We, we think different, we feel different, we have different opinions, we are going to have different strengths that we bring in. Thanks be to God, because if we didn't, how boring would that be? We, and you see that up here in the pulpit. There's four pastors at this church. I certainly don't look like any of the males. We all teach different. We all sound different. Or the worship team. Imagine if we had a whole bunch of people with the same exact guitar strumming the same exact tune. It'd be kind of boring but we have vocals and keys and drums and bass guitars and things to help add robustness and variety to the worship team. That is what God is seeking in the body of Christ. He wants variety. He wants robustness, and therefore he has given us each unique gifts to use for his purpose. So in today's passage, we, we see four of the gifts, but there's a lot more, and you can see what the, the other gifts of the Spirit are that God gives each of us believers, each of us gets different gifts. You see them in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can check those out. I also have in your bulletins, if you got it, a bulletin, or it's also on the app, um, a link to a spiritual gifts assessment, because it's really important that you understand what your giftings are in the body. Gifts are important, and that's one way we can find out. But how do we know another way? 
of, of our gifts? How do we find out what God has gifted us with? Do you find out by sitting here in the pews for one hour a week out of 168 hours a week? You're just sitting there. You're not doing anything. So you're not going to find out your gifts sitting there. To find our gifts, we need to live and work in community with other people. We need to fellowship with people. We need to work alongside them as we are building God's kingdom here on earth. We have a common purpose, which is to build God's kingdom on earth while bringing him glory. That's what we're unified on. But we, we exhibit our different gifts as we all move forward to do that. When you do work alongside other people, they can say, that is your passion coming out. I see it. I see this in you. This, have you ever considered that you should do this? Have you considered that you should work with the youth? Have you considered? Have you considered? And, and you grow and you strengthen your spiritual gifts when you understand a little bit more about what they are. Those of you online, if you are homebound, I'm also talking to you. You are part of the body of Christ. There are things you can do even if you can't physically come to church. You, I know people that are prayer warriors, and I thank you so much for being prayer warriors. There are people who are, have the gift of encouragement that write and call and spend time talking to other people. Thank you for that. That's another gift. You can mentor people. You can lead Bible studies. So even if you are homebound, your gifts still work. Still work. The good news is that God has uniquely shaped every single one of us. We are all created beautifully and wonderfully. And he knows our personalities, he knows our strengths and our weaknesses, and he's given us gifts, spiritual gifts, that match what he has created us to be. So that is a beautiful thing, because he has uniquely shaped you. He has given you passions and equipped you for his service. He didn't just equip you to go and sit by yourself doing nothing. That's a waste of a gift. God has equipped you for his service. He takes what he knows is best in us and strengthens us to make it better. And even those areas where we're not as strong, he, he, as long as we're willing to step out a little bit and, and help each other, we can exercise those too. Strength training doesn't happen when you're doing nothing. My, my son works out because he wants to strengthen his muscles. He has to actually do something and live it out. Same is true in the body of Christ. If you want to strengthen your gifts, you have to live them out. You have to exercise those gifts. They can't be used or grow when you're doing nothing with them. So once you understand that you are to serve and you understand that you are uniquely equipped to serve, Paul gives us a little bit more information about how long we are to serve until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Is this tomorrow? This is whenever Christ returns and whenever we are perfected in glory, so this doesn't tell us we get to, to have a break at any point in time. Folks, we are to work diligently for God's mission. For God's mission. There are people we hopefully are bringing into the body of Christ. And as we do, we, they're not going to be mature in the faith. We have to walk alongside them and help them. 
And since they're not mature in the faith, we don't get to stop exercising our gifts. You don't get to wait to start exercising them. We, there's no magical start now time. It is immediate. Do it. Start working now. And there's no age out time because we're not to maturity as a whole. God wants us to be faithful to our calling. So as we mature in Christ, as we help each other along in this process, there's a reason for it. Paul tells us this. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. There's a lot of things out there that can take our attention off of Christ, that can make us think it is truth when it's really a lie. And especially when we're new to our faith, it's easy to get off track. We need people to walk alongside us and help us together stay on the path so that we grow, so we're not fooled, so we're not drawn astray. So for those of you who are new in your faith, for you today, I encourage you to be bold and seek out somebody who is a little stronger in the faith that can walk alongside you. You say, help me. I know I'm weak. I, I know I don't know everything there is to know. Let's navigate this together. It's sometimes hard to do that. I remember years ago when I had to step out of my comfort zone and approach someone to be a mentor. It was really uncomfortable. That person and I are still close today, and I think we could all benefit from such a relationship. And for those of you that are a little more mature in your faith, you have a bigger task. We'll start with the verse that goes with it. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Promotes the body's growth. So hold that thought for a second. I'm going to give you something to tie this in. in. In the corporate world, if you work anywhere, you have a job of any kind, you'll know that you need to feel some kind of buy-in to the organization if you're going to stick around especially now in, in what they're calling the great resignation, it, there's certain characteristics that a workplace needs to have. And I'm sure a lot of us could understand these. They are to be mentored, to be challenged, involved, appreciated, valued, empowered, on a mission, and trusted. These don't just apply to the workplace. They apply to the body of Christ. If we want people to be committed to the body of Christ, as members of the family of God, we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to do these things. We need to show them that they are able to be mentored. We need to appreciate them, value them, help them come along on the mission. That is our role as more mature Christians. And it's also important that we don't just pick and choose who we're going to do this with. We have an obligation to every single person in the body of Christ. Every person needs to grow 
Because if you don't, you get something that looks like this. You see it? Right there? That's a, a big foot. Now, in, in this picture, it's quite clear that something is wrong. If one person is above and beyond everybody else in the body of Christ, if they're up there looking so great and living out how they're supposed to live, and the rest of the body is not, it's going to look like this. It is going to look dysfunctional, like something is wrong. We grow together in Christ as we help others grow. There's an old phrase about a rising tide raises all ships. The same is true in the faith. As one person grows, the whole grows. We all need to grow in the faith. We cannot leave anyone behind. We cannot. And I told you a little while ago in the sermon that I'm dealing with patience still. I, I will probably have a lifelong work in patience, forbearance of other people. And I had that life lesson again this week. I was, we have a, a, in my day job, we have someone who's joined our team as a temp while another person's on maternity leave. This is a young professional, very young in her, in her work. And she was given 15 hours to accomplish what I can do in a fraction of the time. And I was kind of annoyed. I'm like, why are we paying her for 15 hours? I was telling Ian this over dinner. And Ian looks at me and says, you have to remember, you've been doing this for a long time. The behaviors are ingrained. You know what to do. You need to make sure you're giving this person that same grace. And that's really hard. Our expectations for ourselves should not be the same expectations we lay on other people. We need to work to develop those skills to help them walk along in the process. And Romans 15.1 actually reminds us of this. It tells us in Romans 15.1, we who are strong in our faith ought to patiently put up with the weaknesses of those who are not strong. So our job, we are to help those weaker than ourselves grow in the faith. I saw a beautiful example of this last week in our church. For our 8 a.m. service, we had a young man come in who's a very new Christian. He's been to church three times in eight months. He feels like he has to sneak out of his home to come to church because his family is not a family of believers. And he came in. It was the first time he'd ever seen communion done. He didn't know what was going to happen. 19-year-old. And one of our, our men was there that morning, and he saw him, and he just took him under his wing. He sat with him. The, the 8 a.m. service is a traditional service. We sing out of hymnals. He helped him navigate the hymnal. At communion time, he walked him up front, and we talked through what the process was. And I just had my heart overflowing, watching this person take this young man under his wing. It was beautiful, and we need to do more of that. We need to work together to help those weaker than ourselves grow in their faith. And if we don't, if we take those teaching moments and stay silent, we're creating a bigger problem in our church. We are creating a bigger problem because rather than speaking the truth in love, we're more inclined to just love on people. Love is not a problem. But two things go hand in hand. Oops, I went the wrong direction. Both truth and love are important in the body of Christ. There's, 
there's this quote. You can find quotes all over the internet about this exact thing. But this is from a pastor and theologian, Timothy Keller, and he says this, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. May we be the church, the body of Christ, that loves people enough to tell them the truth in love to help them grow. When we don't, we lead to a problem that is disastrous. And this is where my sermon gets a little hard. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of his Father. If you're saying, Lord, Lord, to Jesus, you at least believe that he is Lord. So why would they not enter the kingdom of heaven? Because they know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They have not grown in the faith. They have not grown in the body of Christ. They did not transform themselves daily with the renewing of their mind. They did not pick up their cross and bear it daily. They did not love God and others. They did not do what God has asked them to do. And the, the hardest part of this is as the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to not let that happen. So anyone who does not enter the kingdom of heaven because of this, we have contributed to that tragic outcome. We need to help those who are not strong in the faith grow in the faith. When, when you are in a family and you have a young child, you don't just magically expect them to start doing chores. You teach them how to fold their clothes, how to maybe sweep the floor, how to put stuff away. And over time, they get to a point where you can relinquish and let them go and do. And so is true in the body of Christ. We bring people along on the journey showing them what it means to be a follower of Christ every step of the way, hopefully to a point where they can go and do themselves and help others just like you've helped them. The worship team can come on out. The love that we need to show to others comes from Jesus Christ. We are so grateful that he gives us the bond of peace, that from him the head flows all of this love to make it possible but we have responsibilities. The full picture of the Christian life requires that we live up to the responsibilities that Christ has given us. This is not just a message for those people anywhere other than here. Every single one of us needs to think about this message that Paul wrote, not just to the Ephesians, but to every single one of us. We are called to be contributing members that lead to unity in the family of Christ, not promoting dysfunction because we refuse to be involved in the body. Earlier I shared about my family, but I didn't share about a young man that my parents took in as a teenager. He came from a broken home. It was not a good living situation. So for a couple of years as a teenager, he lived with my parents. 
And he received many of the benefits that come with being part of the family. But he didn't act as part of the family. He acted as a guest, and he was mostly treated as a guest because of how he acted. He was ultimately given an opportunity to be adopted. And knowing all of the benefits that exist in front of him right then and then down the road, he still chose to not be adopted, to not be part of the family. He chose to walk away. To this day, he's actually selling drugs on the street. It could have been an entirely different life that he made the choice that we all have to make. Are we going to choose to be part of the family? Are we going to choose to accept all these amazing benefits that we love? We love the benefits. But you can't take part and not take the whole. With the benefits comes the responsibility. I encourage you to think about what life as part of the family of God means and make your choice about if you're going to live as part of the family or you're going to walk away. Father God, we thank you that you are loving and giving, that you have made it possible that we could be part of your family, that we have unfettered access to you. We can come and talk to you directly, and that you've given us a network of people to help us grow and walk as you have called us to walk. God, forgive us for the times when we have continued to put ourselves in front of ourselves only where we have squandered the gifts you have given us to live the way we want to live, but not live the way you've called us to live. We are not worthy of the calling to which you have called us. God, I just pray that you help us to be willing to not only help others, but to be teachable ourselves, to learn from others, no matter how young or old we are, to opt in to this family and all that it entails. Please walk with us and help us to do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.